Well, I've told you a lot of stories about my Papa Hut. I'm going to get to hear another one today. Seems my mom and dad were traveling from Bryan College Station. I don't know if they were coming up here to Dallas to see me or, or what was going on, but they stopped at, at a gas station to get some gas, and my mom went in to use the restroom and came back out. They got in the car and headed north. And then my mom realized she didn't have her wedding rings on or her, her daughter's ring. And so um, they turned around and they go back and Papa Hutt begins to pray. Please, dear God, let us find Mama Jo's rings. Please let us find Mama Jo's rings. We get back to the gas station and she goes in and there sits her rings. There by the sink. And uh, Papa... She gets back in the car and Papa says, praise you, God, praise you. I just want to praise you for hearing our prayer and answering it. We'd pray anyway if we hadn't found it. <laughs> because we always give you praise, whatever the outcome of our prayer. And that was his philosophy. He used to get chided at the men's breakfast each week because he prayed about everything. And he said, I pray about everything. He said... Uh, and they'd say, well, Lewis, don't you think it's kind of bothering God to pray that you can make your putt on the golf course? And he goes, I don't think it bothers God at all. I think God loves it when I pray. Well, you know, today we hear this wonderful passage of Scripture in which the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray. And uh, it's... Uh, well-known scripture, and we heard it this morning from the message, which is a paraphrase done by Reverend Eugene Peterson. And I did that because it, I wanted it to awaken us a little bit, because we're used to the Lord's Prayer. We pray it almost every Sunday here at the New Church. Uh, so uh, I wanted a different kind of, I wanted your ears to hear a new way, you know, of hearing this prayer. But it's a well-known passage of scripture and it's both simple and deeply complicated. So let's take a look at the text itself and see what we discover. First, it's odd to me that the disciples, after hanging out with Jesus for as long as they already had been, that they now are asking Jesus to teach them to pray. I mean, you'd have thought they'd already gotten that message, right? Somehow, some way, they would have already learned that lesson. But they say, Teacher, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And, and it's also a bit odd because um, in some ways, prayer is a near universal human impulse. And we know that because all great faith traditions and even minor faith traditions offer means of connecting with the divine. Right? But we all know that in other ways, um, prayer is confounding and confusing. And, um, and so sometimes we tend to lapse into this um, asking for, you know, certain things, which is not bad. I mean, Jesus says, ask. But we forget that there's all kinds of ways to pray. You know, just being in the, seeking to be in the presence of God is a way of praying. 
Dancing is a way of praying. Singing is a way of praying. In fact, I think it was Augustine who said, when you sing, you pray twice. Or maybe it was St. Francis. I don't know who said it. But anyway, it's, it's a good saying. <laughs> the, the beauty of this passage is that Jesus immediately responds to their request. And they had observed Jesus going away, away from them to pray, right? And so Jesus, with a tender heart, responds to their request and offers them a simple yet deeply profound prayer to pray. We heard Eugene Peterson's The Message version. The more traditional version is, Abba, holy be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and do not bring us to the time of trial. And generally, that's where the Catholics leave it, not the Protestants. We have to carry on a little bit more. <laughs> Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Right? But here's the parts of this prayer you need to hear. The first thing is to call God by name. People historically have called God Father. You can call God Mother. Abba, uh, use the name you're most comfortable with, but call God by name and acknowledge God's holiness. Holy be your name. Invite God's realm to come upon the face of the earth. And notice that the prayer uses plural pronouns. Give us, forgive us, do not bring us, not me. So it doesn't say give me, forgive me, do not bring me to the time of trial. Bring us. This is wholly in keeping with the Hebrew understanding that we're all in this together. We're all a part of God's realm. And we all, we pray for all of God's realm, right? So, and Jesus doesn't leave it with this simple prayer that is quite short, actually but then goes on to say, ask, seek, knock. And this is perhaps the most difficult part of the prayer, this lesson. I'll talk about that in a minute. I'd like to keep you hanging a little bit. <laughs> and then, as we get near the end of his instructions on prayer, we hear this instruction for shameless persistence. Knock away. Pound the door. Don't give up. Be shamelessly persistent in your prayers. Now, I learned a lesson from a dear friend of mine. Um, he was my assistant at Cathedral of Hope for a, a while and was just this holy, holy person. I mean, cared for creation, he still does, cares for creation loves children and teaches them. I mean, just this marvelous soul that God placed in my life for a bit of time. We call him Little Stephen. So Little Stephen um, learned earlier this year that his brother Matthew, his older brother Matthew, um, has been diagnosed with a, a brain tumor. So he posted on Facebook, and that's why I'm sharing it with you, because it's very public, posted on Facebook this week. He said this, since learning this in May and not being able to share until now, 
I made my own modified Nazarite vow. I would not cut my hair. In other words, let, let his hair grow uncut for the length of, of, of the vow, which is in numbers. And I would pray for my brother for one hour in the morning and one hour in the evening every day. And I've not missed a day. And to all those that made negative comments about my long hair, sorry, you're so shallow. <laughs> then he goes on and writes, in Mark 11:24, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And then he goes on and says, I have prayed every day since the diagnosis and have believed. Please pray and believe with me. His brother will have surgery tomorrow. And his brother, Matthew, evidently has a really good sense of humor because the next picture he posted was a picture of his brother, Matthew, with a T-shirt on. And it says, it's not brain surgery. Wait, maybe it is. <laughs> I learned so much from that post. I, I learned a lot about Stephen, of course. Um, but that's persistence. That's shameless Persistence, And what that is, is it throws Stephen right into the heart of God. Shameless persistence. Diana Butler Bass's commentary on this text, um, she actually goes in and takes the Lucan scripture and the Mark scripture and the Matthew scripture where Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer and, and, and unpacks the actual Greek and Aramaic that is used, you know. And... and and what we learn is that one of the passages uses a Greek word that, that translates as trespasses. And another scripture uses an Aramaic word that translates to debts. And another word uses, uh, another translation uh, translates as sins. So everybody's right. Right? We always get in a knot when it comes time to say the Lord's Prayer because everybody's going to use different words. And it sounds a little bit like Pentecost to me when it happens. But, you know, uh, everybody's right is what I'm saying. Um, but here's what she goes on to say. In the Bible, sin is debt. And debt is sin. And she goes on and says that in Matthew's Lord's Prayer... The prayer immediately follows the teaching on the Beatitudes, in which Jesus proclaims blessings upon the outcasts and the oppressed, and then moves into a discussion of freedom from debt. The prayer literally reads, forsake our debts as we forsake our debtors. That's a literal translation of the language. These are canceled debts, real debts, she says. And then she goes on, she says, now, although we don't think about it, the Lord's Prayer is a takedown of Roman economics and politics. Jesus teaches his followers to leave behind the whole system of indebtedness that obligates people to Caesar. Now, if we look at it from what Diana Butler Bass is saying, we begin to see the prayer as deeply countercultural. Um... The prayer describes a circle of abundance that begins in God's heavenly realm where there is always enough. There is no want 
where everyone is blessed. Heaven, or kingdom, or realm, is a vision of what the world can be. A community that trusts God's provision and holds no one in debt. And then she goes on and finally says, sin is when the circle of abundance is abused. And when we see gifts as something we have earned or own, and something that we can hold over others, to control them. Jesus says, pray this way, free us from debt or sin, from holding others in debt, and from our anger against those who hold us in debt. Release us from the entanglements of slavery, free us from Caesar's yoke. We long to live only in gratitude to God. So it would seem that at the heart of Jesus' prayer is a bit of politics. And they say, pastors shouldn't bring politics into the sanctuary. (laughs) But today, I want to take just a moment to talk about the great challenge of this text, which is that Jesus teaches us to ask, to seek, and to knock. I mean, how many times have you done this? How many times have you prayed, begged, begged, fallen to your knees only to come up short and empty that the prayer you prayed didn't seem that God heard or answered when I was uh, living in Bryan College Station pastoring at Friends Congregational Church um, in the year 2000 I discovered a singing group of three women out of Arkansas called Point of Grace. Anybody ever listen to them? Oh my gosh. And at that time when I was young and spelt, uh, I would go to the gym pretty regularly and uh, I'd do a little bit of weight workout, a little bit. (laughs) And then I would get on the treadmill. I put in my cassette player, you know, you know, and my earphones and I would listen to Point of Grace. And in the year 2000, as I worked out on that treadmill, I would pray fervently because it was an election year, as you recall. Oh, I would pray. I was convinced that my prayers were being heard. I just knew my prayers were being heard. And it didn't turn out the way I had hoped. You know, George W. Bush v. Al Gore. Okay. Um, I was pretty devastated. And I wrestled with that. And I wrestled and wrestled with God. I wrestled with God and told God what I thought. And then I remembered the book of Job. You know, near the end of the book of Job, after all the arguments had been made, God says to Job, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you know. Who set its measurements? Surely you know. And then, for the next, for the next four chapters, God carries on and talks to Job about every creation that has ever been made. And it's almost as if in chapter 19, Job was prescient 
about what was going to take place in those last few chapters. Because in, in chapter 19, um, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, we'll stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, then in my flesh, I shall see God. A prescient thing, because it's clear by the end of God's instruction about who created and how things were created and how Job was not present, that Job retreats. And at the end says, I get it. I'll wait in my dust and ashes. Right? Well, that's the ancient telling of that story, but the contemporary telling of that story happens in an episode of Judging Amy. Y'all remember that TV series, Judging Amy? Bruce Calvin Van Exel, played by Richard T. Jones, was her court administrator. And they, they were constantly in conflict because he was a very strong practicing Catholic, and she was a basically agnostic atheist. And um, they butted heads a lot. And they had one case where uh, a child was involved, and, and they struggled, and she struggled, and... And so she went out after court that day, and they got, she found him outside the church. And she said, how can you believe? How can you believe in a God? How can you ever believe in a God when these kinds of things happen to children? And his response was very interesting. He said, "Um, well, I come up with three answers. The first is that um, God must be a violent tyrant for this to happen. The second is, is that God must be powerless against evil forces. But the third is that I don't know. I don't have the answers. In other words, saying, as Job does, hears God say, where were you when I laid the foundations? Right? Now, it's really tough to come up with more than one interpretation here of ask, seek, knock. Jesus assures us that if we ask, we will receive. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, the door will be open. But here's what we need to remember. We forget the verse that says, what father among you would ask his daughter um, who has asked, you know, for a meal, would give her a snake instead of a fish? And what son, a scorpion, when he asks for an egg? This is what we often miss. That most fathers, not all, certainly, wouldn't give their child something that isn't good for them, even if they ask for it. And, And perhaps that's the God's eye view. That God's not going to give us what is not good for us. And that sometimes God is going to let things happen because God sees the long view that we can't see or understand. And God and Jesus actually doesn't give us the outcome. Jesus says, ask, and you'll receive. Doesn't say what you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Doesn't say what you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Doesn't say 
what you will discover, but says that the door will be open to you. And, and God's presence is in all of that, right? And even though we don't realize it, sometimes we ask for a lot of things that are not good for us. We just can't see it. Now, we shouldn't hesitate to ask, like Papa Hutt, you're going to pray about everything. <laughs> but just understand that sometimes God's answer is no, with one exception. In the scripture reading today, we end with the last best request. And don't you think that your Abba, who conceived you in love, will give the Holy Spirit when you ask? Or, the more traditional language, how much more will your Abba, who is God in heaven, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, you know, here's the thing. In our Christian tradition, the Holy Spirit is the lost person of the Trinity. The Protestant church particularly lost track of the Holy Spirit a long time ago. Not the Pentecostals. <laughs> they got it. They got the Holy Spirit all over them. But, you know, uh, the, you know we, we've lost track. We've, we've failed to realize the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Even though God, Jesus said, I'm sending you this. This is what I'm sending. I can't leave. I have to leave so I can send you this spirit. Well, let me tell you something. It would seem to me that Jesus saves this best last request. The best possible prayer we could pray. It would seem to me that the best possible gift we could ask for is a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us. You know, upon us, upon our world. It would seem that God will always say yes to that prayer. The Spirit is necessary in order for us to live the Christian life. You know, um, her job is to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ and help us to know how to pray, as the Apostle Paul so eloquently puts it in the letter to the church at Rome. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. I have a friend uh, that I considered for years, I mean, I, I haven't been in touch with her for a long time now, but I consider her to be one of the deeply spiritual people I've known in my life. And I remember us talking one day about the Holy Spirit, and she said, well, you know, I, the Holy Spirit has never failed to arrive when I have asked for her. That's powerful. You know, that is flat powerful. So it would seem that if we need more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the gifts of the Spirit, in other words, we need more Holy Spirit. And that's why I love Pentecost, you know. Um, so I'm going to call you to something today. Are you ready? You better grab hold of your chairs. <laughs> so I'm going to call you to pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us and our church. So we need a rebirth now that we're in the forever after COVID. You know, we need to be reborn as a church again. 
So I'm going to ask you to um, ask for God to pour out the Holy Spirit upon our church, upon the people that we want to be present uh, on site and online. I want to ask you to pray for our people to catch fire and help change the world. I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and, and that we would become seasoned disciples following in the way of Jesus, right? And, um, and then, and, and that's because if we want to really be the church alive, then we have to pray for the Holy Spirit to come, right? And, and while you're at it, uh, from now until Tuesday, November 8th, why not ask the Spirit to come? upon our states and our nations. We are such a broken people. And so let's ask the Holy Spirit to come with her healing grace and pour out upon our states and our nations and our cities and our people. And then while you're at it, uh, why not pray from now until the first Sunday of Advent, November 27th, for the Holy Spirit to come upon the face of the earth because you know we're killing the earth. And so let's ask the Holy Spirit to come. Turn your face to us. Come, Holy Spirit. Oh, and while you're at it, don't forget to be shamelessly persistent because that will throw you right into the heart of God. And don't forget to say, thank you, God, whatever the outcome. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.